0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, I hope that you're well tonight. One of the things that I was thinking today was the reason why we gather, the reason why we come together, obviously to... To, to worship and to be with brothers and sisters, but I was thinking of a story that Jesus told. Actually, there were three parables in Luke chapter 15 that he he kind of wove together. And the third parable you're familiar with it's called the parable of the prodigal son. And the story is very familiar and is played out in life, even in real life, from time to time. But there's a turning point point in the story when it seems like the son, the prodigal, is at his lowest point. It's, it's as though things couldn't get any worse. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting terminology that Jesus... Now, remember, these are Jesus' words. This is Jesus' story. There's a very, very interesting terminology that Jesus is, uses. And he says that, that when the young man, when the boy came to his senses... The great pastor John MacArthur said that it might likely be rendered and when he began to think clearly again that he remembered his father's servants and that how his father's servants were eating much better than he and he, he, he came up with this plan in his mind. Again, we're talking about why we gather. And, and, and he... And and this plan is that he would return to his father's home. Now, within this culture, he would have been disciplined by the community, not by his father, but by the elders of the community. And so in his mind, he says, when I arrive at my father's house, I will speak to my father, and I will tell him, look, I I have sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven or God. Make me as one of your servants. I don't deserve to be a son. And the imagery is that he's in a long, he's a long far away from home. He's in another land. And the imagery is that he's walking home. Some of you are walking home tonight. Some of you are moving in the direction of God tonight. But as he's walking home, he's repeating this, this, this spiel, this, this little speech to himself again and again. And the interesting thing in the story is not so much the sun. But the father, for you see, as he comes and he sees the community, as he sees the village, as he sees the town, he notices that there is someone who is moving in his direction. Historians, Bible scholars tell us that his father is running, sprinting towards him, and that he would have had to lift up his cloak in, in order to, to be able to run, And as he's preparing the speech, and he begins to get it out, when the father arrives at him, it says that the father embraces him, holds him closely. And I want you to hear this part of the story. As the son begins to say, I have sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be... The father begins to smother him with kisses. He calls for the boy's feet to be covered with his sandals, and his nakedness to be covered with his cloak, a sense of his identity, that his rings would be placed upon his fingers. And the father's love for the son overwhelms the son's speech. Listen, you and I have a narrative that runs through our minds. You and I have a story about ourselves that that plays over and over again. And sometimes it's been because an adult in our life has said something about Danny. And Danny, you'll never amount to anything. And even though we know it's not true, even though we would say that's the farthest thing from the truth, it is something that plays over and over again until we hear the Father say, This is my son. Clothe him. Bless him. Make him safe. And so when we come to this gospel, when we come to Mark's gospel, we're going to do a handful of verses tonight. Actually, not even a handful of verses. We're going to do a couple of verses. I want you to think that one of the reasons that you're here in church tonight is to hear the Father, what the Father has to say about you. Not what you have to say about you, not what somebody else has to say about you, but what God the Father has to say about you. Because let me tell you something. It is life-changing. And that's one of the reasons we come to church. To see our friends, absolutely. To worship, to be sure. But as we look at these couple of scriptures tonight, I want you to think about what the Father says about you because that is the important narrative. That is the life-changing narrative. That is what Mark would want you to know tonight, what he says, what God the Father says about you. So the title of our our Bible study tonight is Baptism, so we'll see Jesus baptized. Empowerment, we'll see the Spirit come upon him. And then Affirmation, or the Father's words from heaven. Our takeaway is that Jesus came to be with us so that he could die for us. Wherever you're at in your life, Jesus has come to be with you. Whatever your circumstance or your station in life, Jesus has come to be with you. And the gospel tells us that he came to be with us so that he might die for our sins. I want you to think about this. John the Baptist's message about the Messiah's coming brought hope to the hearts of the common people, the average people, not not the special people. But the common people, as a matter of fact, were told by Bible scholars that these are the people who, in their own estimation of things, had no hope of going to heaven. But John the Baptist arriving on the scene brought great hope to them. We also know that it troubled the religious elite. News of a coming king threatened their delicate balance of power with Rome. It's important to know that John came warning of certain judgment. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets didn't arrive with good news. When a prophet came to your community, it meant that something was wrong. It, generally, I see the prophets of the Old Testament as guardians of the covenant. And so they would arrive on the scene, they would look different, they would, you know, they would, they would speak their peace, they would speak their word of the Lord, and then it was up to the people to respond. And I don't think John the Baptist is any different. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 3, 7, it says, but when he saw many, this is a religious elite, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, that is out by the, the River Jordan, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you brood, you, you group of venomous snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So then, to some, Jesus' coming brought hope because they would receive him as their king, and to others, he represented judgment because they rejected him as their king. In our time together, Jesus enters the story. As a matter of fact, I don't think that he says anything at least not in Mark's account, if we were in Matthew or Luke, he would certainly say something, but tonight he will be baptized by John the Baptist, he will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he will be affirmed by the Father. One of the things that enter into my mind is, when when I see Jesus and the Father within the pages of scripture, it's hard not to think about my relationship with my Father which could be sobering at times. I'm going back a couple of decades easily, easily. But I, I, I think about my relationship with him. And, and although my father passed in the mid-80s, I wonder if he was still alive today, what our relationship would be like. And it's just something that I think about. I ponder, I wonder about. The easier thing for me to do is to think about my relationship with my daughters. I have two daughters. One's recently on May 16th. On Monday, she turned 43. Uh, The other in November will turn uh, 41. And so although I can do nothing about my relationship with my dad, I put a lot of effort into my relationship with my daughters and my grandchildren. Because of Jesus' relationship with his father, I want to be. It's a motivation for me to to be a good father. I I, I don't know if that resonates with any of the men in here this evening. These events reveal Jesus' willingness to identify with man. This is an incredible concept or idea that Jesus wanted to identify with you. He wants to enter into your world. He wants to enter into your home. He wants to live your life with you. God of the universe. Again, this is, this is really beyond me. Mark's readers lived in a world, remember it was this, this book, the gospel was likely written in Rome, but they lived in a world where Caesar Nero was worshipped as a god. They recognized that Caesar Nero required worship and also that he was persecuting the church. Roman and Greek cultures were filled with idolatry. But the church would worship one God and only one God and that was Jesus. They would refuse to acknowledge or to worship any of the other deities. Their lives have been changed because their God stepped into their world. In His humanity, He obeyed the Father. In His humanity, He was dependent upon the Spirit. And that's an example to us, to love the Father in such a way that we will obey Him and to be dependent upon the Spirit. One, one other thing before we move on, and Hebrews 4.15 will be on, on the screen. Being a man allows Jesus to relate to us as our high priest. You have in heaven right now your Lord and your Savior who represents you, who knows you and represents you. So Hebrews 4.15 The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The word sympathize means that that the weaknesses that you and I experience because Jesus became a man, they too affected him in the same way they affected you. I don't know if you ever feel misunderstood. You know, you, you communicate something with clarity and somebody else goes the other direction. Not, not, as, if, as if you never said what you said. Wanda, my wife and I, we've known each other since we were 15 years old. We've been married 47 years. And sometimes we'll sit down and we'll be facing each other and we'll have a conversation and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to do that. And then a couple of days later, I'll do something. She goes, why'd you do that? I go, remember, we sat down and we talked this through. And she goes, that's not the way I remember it. Or, or, or sometimes because of your generations. I noticed that I, this last weekend I was in Phoenix with my, my daughter and grandchildren. And I noticed that as we began to discuss certain things, that generationally we see things different. Nothing wrong with it, but just understanding that my grandchildren and my daughter see things differently than me. Do you know tonight that Jesus Christ understands you, even though you may feel misunderstood by others? He says that we have a high priest who... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted or tested as we are, yet he is without sin. There's more. In Philippians 2.8 it says, And being found in human form, that is again Jesus' humanity, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now let me be clear, Jesus becoming a man does not mean that at any point that he stopped being God. He never at any point from the time that he was born until he ascended ever stopped being God. He remained deity. As a matter of fact, the angels at his birth worshipped Emmanuel, God with us. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the three disciples watched Jesus change and transform. It's as though his skin was pulled back and his glory was revealed. You see, he was deity. He was God. Jesus, John attests, John's gospel attests to Jesus' divinity at his first miracle. You remember it was the changing of the water into wine. And John kind of summarizes it in John two eleven when he says, This The changing of water into wine, the first of his signs or miracles, Jesus did at Cana, a little village in Galilee, the region, and manifested or revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So why do we come to church? We come to hear, we come to church to hear what the Father has to say to you. We come to church through the pages of Scripture to catch a glimpse of his glory, to see him as he really is. Not not what political groups say he is, not what different religious groups say he is, but listen to me at what the Scriptures say about Jesus, because if you can see him, you will be transformed. You will be changed. I was working at the nuclear plant. It was the mid, it was the late 70s, and I had achieved all my goals at a relatively young age. I know I didn't, I didn't have too many (laughs) big goals, but uh, I was working the the evening shift that was from 5 p.m. till midnight, and I had this nine sensation that there was more to life. that that, that although you know I had the home and I had the cars and the vacations and a wonderful wife and a wonderful marriage I had a sense that there was something more I had a sense that I was created for more and one night in in my room as I as I prayed and and, you know really wasn't sure how to pray I, I didn't come from a religious a church background but I had an opportunity to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Not, not literally, but, but like the son who made his way home and, he, and engaged with the father on the path from a faraway land to his home, God revealed himself to me in his goodness. And I have been changed and will continue to be changed. So now, in Mark-like fashion, we move quickly through the opening scene of Jesus' coming. Now remember, as we said last week, there, there is no manger, there is no baby, there are no shepherds, and there are no angels. So look at, regarding Jesus' baptism in verse 9. Where Mark writes, so I'm going to press pause here for a second. So Mark heard Peter preach this message. Mark is recalling he's remembering that Peter explained this over and over and over again. So like so like a tile in a mosaic, he grabs this picture and he puts it into his gospel. And he says to you and to I this evening, in those days, in what days, Danny, in the days that John the Baptist was baptizing out at the Jordan. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, his hometown. Of Galilee again the region around the Sea of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan I want you to remember as we begin here tonight Jesus was baptized in order to identify or to relate with sinful man he came to identify with you and with me Jesus joins the crowds of people coming to be baptized by John he comes alone he has yet to select his disciples he he At least in Mark's gospel, he has said nothing. He has done nothing. But he stands shoulder to shoulder with the thousands of people, the hundreds of people that are standing on the the banks of the River Jordan. And he's standing there and he's waiting for an opportunity to enter into the water and to be baptized. He stands with you and with me in this world. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, who spoke the world into existence, who angels worship continually, he stands shoulder to shoulder with you and with me. We know that John the Baptist and Jesus were second cousins. Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins. We also know that John was about six months older, Luke's gospel tells us, than Jesus and that they knew each other on some level. This is real life. These are real relationships. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1 verse 29 it says, the next day he saw, John the Baptist saw, Jesus coming toward him or in his direction and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And so John is, is, is baptizing and he's preaching. Again, he's a prophet, right? And he's calling people to repent or to turn from their sins. He's fiery, he's loud, he looks very different. As we said last week, His clothing is different, big leather belt. He would never have shaved or cut his hair. He was a Nazirite. He would have never partaken of the fruit of the vine in any way. His, His diet is very limited. Again, the contrast here is with the religious system. But John is a prophet, and he's preaching, and he's baptized. And remember, we also said that Jews, by and large, were not baptized. Baptism was reserved for Gentiles who would become Jews. Jews were very familiar with washing, ceremonial ritual washing, but they did not repent of their sins and be baptized. And so then John is baptizing, baptizing, and then he sees Jesus moving in his direction. And he's troubled because Jesus has come to be baptized. Mark's gospel tells us that, in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew's gospel tells us in Matthew 3, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented, that is, he would have resisted baptizing them, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Conversation takes place, and the river Jordan wasn't massive. Probably muddy water. I know it's probably not what you were thinking, but, you know, it's desert. It's below sea level. It's hot and depending on the time of the year it's 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 pretty desolate and the water's kind of murky and jesus walks into the water with people all around him and he stands before john and john resists because he knows who he is do you know who he is Do you understand who he is? And Jesus said, it's needful that I be baptized. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And it is from this point on where Jesus' star begins to rise and John's begins to set. So here are some considerations as to why Jesus was baptized. First, Jesus' baptism fulfilled John's ministry. John's ministry will now decrease while Jesus's increase. John had come to prepare the way. He has prepared the way. Secondly, Jesus' baptism reveals his willingness to be like us. Ultimately, Jesus will suffer for our sin. Ultimately, it is said that on the cross, he will be baptized with our sin, so he joins us in our baptism also Jesus' baptism serves as an example for the, for us to be baptized uh, this summer's coming up I was looking at the calendar and so then in June, July, August and September we will have a church-wide baptism down at La Jolla Shores no pressure here no pressure you know Danny Ramos you have to check and make sure he's got a pulse Uh, this guy this guy this guy is low low pressure but I would encourage you if you see what Jesus is doing even though our baptism is different than a baptism of repentance our baptism is an outward expression of an inward transformation I would encourage you to consider being baptized but he came to identify with us Isaiah tells us that Jesus associated with lost man in Isaiah 53 the latter part of verse 12 It says of of the suffering servant that he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is, he came to identify with us. You know, many years ago, I know I talk about it regularly. I hope I don't bore you. But I was in my office at a church in Fallbrook. I was the youth pastor, and I received a phone call from the school. One of the um, administrators called me and said, uh, doesn't, doesn't Mike, and he used his last name, he said, doesn't he attend your youth group? And I said, yeah. She said he was arrested today. Um, and as, as he was being taken away from the school, he turned to me and said, I'm pretty sure my dad's going to kill me. Not literally, but you know. She said, would you mind going and see how he's doing. And in uh, Fallbrook, we have a substation. It's the San Diego County Sheriff's. And so uh, the church uh, wasn't too far away from there. So I drove down there and, I, you know, the, went in, explained while I was there, are you the dad? No, I'm not the dad. Well, then who are you? And I said, I'm a, the youth pastor. And they said, well, you can sit over there. And when there are all these policemen around, you do exactly what they ask you to do. So I went over and I sat down. Now there was a wall that came out here and then there was an office space here. So there was a counter and an office space here and it continued beyond the wall. And I heard his voice and he was popping off. He couldn't see me, I couldn't see him. He goes, well, you know, I'm this and I'm that. And he was just popping off and I was sitting there, you know, just you know wondering uh, when his father, would, uh, Ron, would, uh, would show up. And I remember, because Mike was a tough guy, I remember that Mike was just popping off and then he came around this wall to where he could see me. And he started to cry. And he said, what are you doing here? I, I just came to be with you. My friends, Jesus has just come to be with you. He's come to be with you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not come to point out what you do right and what you do wrong. In the same way that he took his place in baptism, he comes to be with you, to stand with you. There will be times in your life, I hope there's not too many, but there will be times in your life when you will feel alone. Or maybe it's worse than that. You will feel abandoned. I want you to know here tonight that Jesus' incarnation, that is, his becoming a man means that he will stand with you. Well, you remember what he said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you until the end of the age. One of the things that Jesus was criticized for by his detractors was that he was known For being with sinners. I want you to think those who were the outcasts of the community. In Luke chapter 15, in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. That is, Jesus was teaching, he was explaining the Bible, and instead of being repelled by him, they were drawn to him. Verse 2 says, Again, Luke 15, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled or complained, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and he eats with them. I want you to, I want to be clear here. Jesus doesn't endorse sin. He loves sinners. Remember that Jesus would call Levi, a hated tax collector, to be his disciple. And and, and in Luke 7, there's a story of where Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home to have a meal and, and there while he's reclining well let me, let me read you to you from Luke 7 it says and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner that is she was a known sitter, sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house she, brought, she bought, brought with her an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet listen to this with her tears, this would have been an outward expression of repentance, a known sinner, yet an outward show of repentance of her sins, and wiped them, that is his feet, with the hair of, his, of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with oil the pharisee would look at what was taking place he would smell the fragrance of her worship she would hear he would hear her sobbing she, he would see her letting down her hair something a woman would never do in public and he thinks to himself if this man were really a prophet he would know what kind of woman this is touching him jesus as he would oftentimes do, would understand an individual's thoughts. And he said to the man, you know, I, I came to your home and no one washed my feet. That was a common practice in the Middle East. No one, no servant, no one washed my feet. Yet she's washing my feet with her tears. I, I came to your home and nobody embraced me. And yet here she is holding my feet in her hands and I came here and nobody anointed me there was a common practice to wash the feet of a guest we talked about this last week to wash the feet of a guest to embrace them and then to give them is a means of refreshment some olive oil mixed with uh, with spices and she has washed my feet Jesus would go on to say in verse 50 Again, Luke chapter 7. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, sometimes I wonder if the church experiences an amnesia of sorts when it loses sight of the fact that Jesus became like us to save us from our sins. Next in verses 10 and 11, we see the Spirit's empowerment and the Father's affirmation. And when he, went, when he came out of the water, that is again John baptizing him, right? Immediately he saw the heavens being torn or rent or ripped open and the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus in his humanity is empowered by the Spirit. And some of you here might think, but Danny, Jesus is God. But, Danny, Jesus is all-powerful. I want you to think for a moment that Jesus was dependent on the Spirit to, to preach, to heal, and to deliver people from Satan's oppression. In the same way that Jesus allowed himself to be in a human body and restrict himself to being in one place at one time, And yet to still be God, he allows himself to submit to the leading of the Spirit. Also take into consideration that Jesus would spend long periods of time in prayer. We know that when Judas Iscariot on the night of his arrest, knew exactly where Jesus would be. He would be in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because it was his habit to pray all through the night. Jesus, God in the flesh, prayed all through the night. We see this through the course of the Gospels, that he would disappear to a solitary or a lonely place to be with the Father. Think about this. He's known God for all of eternity. That is beyond my comprehension, but Jesus has had this unique relationship with the Father and the Spirit, and in his humanity he chooses to spend long periods of time in communion with God the Father. He was perfectly obedient to the Father again in his humanity. And John 4, 34 it says, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the the spirits descending upon him as Jesus comes to the water of the heavens, but the heavens mark alone incorporates violence when he says that the sky or the heavens were torn or rent, while the other gospels simply say that they were open. This is the same word that that Mark uses when Jesus was on the cross and he gives up his spirit and it says that, that that the veil in the temple was torn. As Jesus comes out of the water, the spirit comes down, the sky is rent, is torn. Again, there's almost a violence to it. In Isaiah 64, the prophet tells us, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And then in verse 10, it says the spirit descending on him like a dove. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus would declare to those in a synagogue, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So then the Spirit's coming down like a dove, the Son coming out of the water, and the Father speaking from heaven illustrates to us a picture of the Trinity. John says of the event in John 1:32, And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. In verse 11, Jesus is now affirmed by the Father. You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Just a couple of thoughts and then we'll be done. For some of us in the church, we hear, pray more. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. For some of us in the church, we hear, give more. Don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. Or do more. Do you see that the father was pleased with the son before he taught or preached, before he healed or delivered, that the pleasure of the father resided upon the son before he did anything? Can I tell you that the pleasure of the Father is on you? Are you to pray? Absolutely. Are you to give with a joyful heart? Are you to do as the Spirit, not as man, but as the Spirit and the Word of God would instruct you? But beyond that, He is pleased with you. Hear me. He is pleased with you. He loves you now. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Remember the prodigal son? Father, Father, let me see if I got this right. Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against earth. Was that true? Yes. Father, Father. I I am not worthy to be called your son. Is that true? Well, at least in his estimation, I think. Father, Father, I will be to you as a servant. But how does the Father treat him? He runs to him. He embraces him. He lavishes love upon him. Do you understand that as you sit here tonight and prepare to worship again and maybe participate in communion, do you understand that the Father lavishes his love upon you? Do you see Jesus having done nothing at this point in time but simply to be the second person of the Trinity? Hear the Father's words of affirmation and love. For some, God calling Jesus His Son is confusing because in their minds it denotes someone of a lesser position. However, in Mark's hearers' understanding, they know it spoke of equality. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Transfiguration from Matthew 17, the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He's speaking to the three disciples. During a public prayer in John 12, verse 28, Jesus prays, Father, it's a public prayer, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, I will glorify it again. So then in closing, Mark points to the testimony of John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down upon him. The one who sent me baptizing said, this is Messiah. The Spirit coming and resting upon Jesus, anointing him. Remember, Messiah means the anointed one. The Spirit coming and resting upon him, anointing him, testifies to his identity. And then the Father's declaration. Fully God and fully man. So, with such a testimony, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Do you receive Him and worship Him? Do you understand that He loves you with an everlasting love? Do you understand that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament who embraced people? By word of application, this week, I want you to think about the witness of Jesus. First, that Jesus came to be with you. Whatever you're going through, he has come to be with you. Secondly, Jesus came to die for you. That is the greatest expression of love. The greatest expression of love is that he would lay down his life for you. And then lastly, Jesus promised to come again. That is, he will return for you. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to worship? So Father this evening, might we hear those words that were spoken on that day that originate in heaven, that originate in your heart and your mind, might we who are here in this sanctuary that we who are watching online, might we hear you say that you were pleased with us? might we like the prodigal son who 's returned with with this Narrative or this story that goes through our minds again and again, might we hear the Father say, My son, my daughter, welcome home. I have made a place for you. I will throw a banquet, a feast for you. There is joy in heaven among the angels because my son, my daughter, who was dead, is now alive, they was lost, is now found. And Father, this evening, if there's one person here who stands at a distance, if there's one person here tonight who feels like they're on the outside looking in, might they hear you speak in the re- recesses of their soul, I love you with an everlasting love. I have made a way for you. I have sent my son to die for you. Come. Come. into my family tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.